0: Longest Shortest Time is brought to you by Invitae.
2: Your genes can tell you if you're 12% French or 6% Italian. They can also tell you a lot
0: about your future health. When you take an Invitae genetic test, they search for meaningful health information, like whether you're at an increased risk for inherited cancer or heart disease. Based on your results, you may be able to take steps to potentially lower that risk. Learn more by visiting
2: Invitae.com. That's I N V I T A E.com. As parents, we are constantly worried about what's going in our kids' mouths. You know, is it breast milk or formula? Are they getting enough? Are they keeping it down? Then as they start eating solid foods, we worry if they're eating the right stuff. You know, what if they refuse to eat anything but noodles? What if they've got food allergies? Are they eating too many sweets? Are they pooping too much, Or, or even worse, not enough? We're gonna be covering all of these kinds of questions in our upcoming Google Hangout Um, that's happening on July 16th. Um, There's more details in the soon section at longestshortesttime.com. So anyway, um, kids and food, there's lots to talk about. But what about you? Have you taken a close look at the way you eat since you've had a kid? This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Hillary Frank, and it is high time we talk about how we eat as parents. And you are a professional eater, correct? Yeah, yeah. I, I get paid to eat. It is true, yeah. This is Dan Pashman from The Sporkful Podcast. His show shares a cubicle with mine at WMYC. The Sporkful is all about eating and, and how to make every bite as delicious as possible. Dan's also a dad.
3: I have Becky, who is three and a half, and Emily is one.
2: So we've got a father of young kids who's also an expert on eating. Who better to talk about parental eating habits than Dan Pashman, right? Well, today, Dan and I put a microscope on our eating, you know, how we eat with our kids, or as the case may be, far, far away from them.
3: I did a thing a while back with Deepak Chopra on my podcast, and I I still to this day, I'm always thinking back about what he told me, because what I was talking to him about was eating alone. I did a thing for Valentine's Day, eating alone on Valentine's Day. And I was like, give me advice for how to make sure that you're enjoying food when you're eating alone. And he talked to me a lot about just being mindful while you're eating and paying attention to what you're eating. And I remember right after I talked to him, I went out and got a slice of pizza. And I, I tried to test out this method. Like, I didn't look at my phone. I didn't read anything. I just looked at the pizza very intently. I really paid attention to every bite and felt it sort of going down into my stomach. And I was watching the sort of little tributaries of tomato sauce flowing around the top of the pizza as it was glistening. And And it was actually really an enjoyable experience. And, I, and it made me sort of feel more satisfied, now, you can't quite do that when you get kids running all around, but you can steal an instant, a moment of that while you're eating. Your kids are running around. It's craziness. Even if you're standing up over the sink, you know, every parent with little kids knows what it's like to like scarf down a meal standing over the sink. I think it's one of the most degrading experiences, <laughs> <laughs> and it's so hard to find deliciousness. And As you're doing it, you're like, I'm not enjoying this. This doesn't taste that great. I should be appreciating this more. I probably don't even need this much food. I'm not even really that hungry. I don't want to throw it out, though. And anyway, I just have to get food into my stomach because I just need to get to bath time or whatever the next chore
2: is, right? And because, and because, um, like, giving yourself sustenance is going to make you a better parent,
3: right? Well, that's certainly true. You know, I think it's okay to carve out those little moments for yourself. And you know, I try to remember what Deepak Chopra told me: even if I'm standing over the sink. I try to, like, lean against the sink to, like, take a little weight off. Maybe I'm not sitting down, but at least lean against the sink. And for that split second, look at the food and swallow it and pay attention to nothing but that bite. And I do think you get a little more enjoyment from it.
2: Yeah. Well, that was one of my questions for you. Um, How do you make those, like, two and a half minutes over the sink as delicious as possible?
3: Well, I, I talk a lot on The Sporkful about sort of bite composition, how to put together the perfect bite. I think in that sort of over the sink eating situation, it's one of two things. Either you're kind of scarfing down leftovers that are quote unquote grown up food, or the situation I often end up in is you're eating your kids' leftover food. Uh huh. Right? I mean, I, I would love to see a study on like how many extra calories parents of young children consume just like eating the detritus. <laughs> right? Because it's like oftentimes it, it's perfectly good food, so you feel bad throwing it out, but it's kind of not really enough or it's been mushed around too much. To pack it as leftovers. She's like, well, if I eat it, I guess I'm not wasting it. But
2: So you're talking about eating food off of
3: their plates? Right. After they're, they're done. They left mm-hmm. the table. And I've actually established a hierarchy of young child's leftover foods. Okay. So number one, this is like the best case scenario, is food that's still on their plate untouched. Yes. It's just sitting there pristine. Agreed. Number two, on the plate been mushed around with the hands a little, but but nothing more. Still, not bad territory you're in. Next one down the hierarchy, food that's been put in the mouth and then returned to the plate, either by accident or on purpose. To me, that that's called garbage.
2: <laughs> so you don't ever eat any food that's touched your kids' mouths? I don't. Number one, it just sounds icky to me. Okay. Number two, I just feel like kids are brewing some kind of illness all the time. I see food with her saliva on it, and I think I'm going to get strep.
3: See, that's so funny because I see food with my kid's saliva on it, and I think exposure to this bacteria will make me stronger. I will eat food that's been in my kid's mouths, and I'm not ashamed to say it.
2: That's like the reverse of the pre-mastication. I do (laughs) (laughs) post-mastication. You got to tell me now what what have you eaten that's been in your kids' mouths?
3: Well, well, this I, I brought a little experiment for you, Hillary. I brought I brought props here. Don't worry, I've not, I've not I'm not going to ask you to eat anything that's been in my kids' mouths. Okay. <laughs> but this was one of the best case scenarios. I have here some graham crackers. I'm scared. First, I'm going to give you a graham cracker untouched. Uh huh. It just came right out of the package. I want you to take a bite of this unadulterated graham cracker, and mm-hmm. you tell me, tell me what you think of it.
2: It's not as crisp as I expected. Is this a little... Has has it been sitting around for a while? It's been... Yeah, it's the bottom... (laughs) You got the bottom of the bag. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, it's good. But is it a little dry? It is
3: a little dry. Maybe a little brittle? Yeah, it's a cracker. Would it be better if it were less dry and less brittle? Probably not. Let's find out. Okay. So now what I'm going to do to replicate a graham cracker that has been in my one-year-old's mouth is I'm going to pour a little bit of water out on a plate... So I just have a little sort of flat puddle here. Okay. Sorry, right, I'm, I'm going to take out this other one. I'm just going to dip it lightly in the water. Okay. I hope you don't mind that I've been touching your food. <laughs> all right, so now I just want you to focus on the texture.
2: Okay, I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to eat it. Damn, that is gross. <laughs> <laughs> I think Super it's so gross. much better. You eat it. Right, tell, wait, me if you, wait, tell me if you really believe that.
3: <laughs> all right. I think it softens it right up. It makes it more reminiscent of a graham cracker crust, a pie crust.
2: It makes it more reminiscent of a graham cracker that came out of a child's mouth.
3: <laughs> what if we imagine it being coming out of your child's mouth? Less gross?
2: <laughs> Super gross. <laughs> <laughs> I guess on that point, they will have to agree to disagree, Hillary. I guess so. Um, so. But you're telling me that you've eaten graham crackers that have been sitting in your child's mouth?
3: Yes. I have. My, my one-year-old, you know, she's just getting her teeth, so nice, you know, we just give her something to chew on. We gave her a graham cracker, and she was just kind of chewing on it, but she wasn't really eating it. And then she didn't want it, so I took it, and I, it wasn't the garbage nearby, and I looked at it, and I was like, you know, my number one fault with graham crackers is that they're dry and brittle. I wonder if this would be better. It's been softened by sitting in her mouth, gummed. And I tried it, and yeah, I thought it was good. I mean, look. Is it the greatest thing I've ever eaten? Like, would I go far out of my way for saliva-soaked graham crackers? Probably not. But I do think it was good. And, and the saliva thing, like, it doesn't really bother me. All right, Hillary, so continuing with the hierarchy of a young child's leftover foods, number four on the list is food that's been picked up and dropped on the floor. Where do you think? Would you rather eat food that's been picked up and dropped on the floor or food that's been picked up and gone in the mouth and back to the plate?
2: I'd rather have something off the floor.
3: That might be true. Maybe maybe I need to alter my rankings. Next one down, put in the mouth and then dropped on the floor by accident. This is food that touched the mouth and the floor. Mm -hmm. But I draw a distinction between that one and the grossest of all, which is food that's been put in the mouth and then dropped on the floor on purpose. Oh. I think it's grosser if the food made it to the floor on purpose versus by accident. Because that suggests like... You know, if it's been put on the ground on purpose, it suggests that the kid is playing with the food, mm-hmm. which means it was probably like mushed to oblivion before being dropped. And when it was dropped, there was likely like velocity was involved. Like it yeah. was hurled. Yeah. And that, I feel like that, even I won't eat that.
2: I mean, I think probably a lot more food winds up in the garbage in my house or the compost than, than yours. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> a nice way of saying that I'm gross.
2: Now that we've been talking about like eating stuff off of your kids' plates, I can think of one time that I've been really tempted by food that's been manhandled by my daughter. So please tell me. So like, I have definitely developed a very strong appetite for American cheese since mm. since she's been old enough to eat it. Um, but when we go out, like to a diner, her favorite thing to get is a grilled cheese. And probably it's mine, too. But sometimes I feel like, oh, I should get something more grown up than that. And so, <laughs> like, especially if she's ordering it. Um, but really, I'd probably just rather get the grilled cheese and the chocolate milk that she's getting. And, and so I'm, like, sitting there watching her eat it and just hoping that she'll leave some of it untouched. <laughs> totally. But what she does is she opens it up. And she like picks out the cheese with her fingers. The whole sandwich is sort of like the bread has has her little like f- holes from her fingers like digging into the bread from picking the cheese out of it.
3: But it still has the basic structure of a sandwich.
2: Open faced.
3: Okay. The top bread's been removed. Yes. And it's got these sort of like, I would imagine sort of almost- Craters. Craters and trails. Yeah.
2: And so if I'm going to go at it, I'm going to have to deal with like the sandwich that's been picked apart with, with the cheese, but it's still going to taste good, and I have um, eaten that a little bit. I, I would, of course, prefer the one that, that she's sort of left, the piece that she's left untouched, and I try to sometimes just be like, hey, will you let mommy have a bite of that? <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, but when you do eat food off your kid's plate, I do think there's a certain art to putting together the perfect bite. Usually you're eating it with your hands. Like the eggs. Like my wife makes great scrambled eggs with American cheese mixed in. And the kids eat it well. But there's often a few little bits of fluffy egg lying on their plate. like, I will always eat that. It's delicious. But there's a sort of art. to Like there's some eggs on the plate. Maybe there's some strawberry there. C- composing the bite with your fingers, it's an art. You could take a ball of meatloaf and encrust it in peas, Or rice or what have you. You Mm -hmm. could roll it around. You could cluster the peas in the middle and surround it with meatloaf. Or you could mix them together so that you have an even diffusion of peas throughout the meatloaf. There's so many different options for the ways you could do that. And you can get your exact meatloaf to pea ratio and you can alter it from one ball of food to the next. You have total control. And you just can't get down to that granular level without getting your hands in there and doing it with your fingers.
2: Do you make balls out of things that are on your own plate, or only things that have been on your kids' plates? Hmm.
3: Mostly just from my kids' plates. It's it's sort of like like a a way for me to have fun eating their leftovers.
2: Because it also sounds like quick cleanup of what's on there. Right, that's plates. right. And
3: I'm also cleaning at the same time, Hillary. There's that benefit. <laughs> um, I don't know if you ever run into this, but um, my daughter loves locks. But it's like, lox is like a special occasion food, kind of. Like, you don't always have lox in the fridge, you know? Like Mm -hmm. Usually when we have lox, it means, like, my mom came. She went to a nice store. She brought us a pound of lox, which is not cheap. And Daddy wants his lox, too. And Mama wants lox. And, you know, now even the one-year-old's eating lox. My daughter will eat lox, like, for infinity. It seems like she has no—she never gets full if she's eating lox. But I'm like, I want some lox, too. And I feel like it's okay for her to learn that, like, it's not all for you. That this is the family's food and we're all going to eat it together. But then, like, so she eats what seemed like a large portion of locks for a three and a half year old, and I made the mistake of like I hadn't sat down to eat yet. So then I sit down with my bagel and locks after she's had all of her locks and been told like that's all the locks. So she's like, "What are you eating, Daddy? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, eh, it's locks. Can I have some of that locks?
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, so that's that's one of the things, like, So back when she couldn't eat everything, you know, she was too young to eat everything. um, I would like hide to eat my meal because I knew she would always want what was on my plate. And so if it was something that that like she couldn't chew yet or whatever, uh, or I just wanted to eat it, you
3: know, myself in peace.
2: Yeah, I would have to like go in the pantry and (laughs) you know and. This is reminding me of of something I'm not proud to admit. But so um, sometimes Sasha will be like, you know, I want more animal crackers. And I'm like, you've had enough animal crackers. We're moving on to something else if you're still hungry. Um, And then she's kind of like stretched me to my limits so much that when she's not looking, I will sneak into the pantry. And, like, scarf down some of those animal crackers myself. And, she, <laughs> and sometimes she'll be like, I hear you making a crunch, crunch, crunch sound. You know? <laughs> what, are you, what are you eating? Right. And, and I'm like, nothing. Some grown-up food. <laughs> like, why do I go for the animal crackers?
3: It, it, did you go for it because because you wanted to get the same indulgence that she was having? Or because you wanted to... Because
2: I actually think they're more delicious than I realized. It's not because you're like rubbing it in her face. No, no. Okay. It's just like, what's the closest thing I could grab that's easy? Like, like it would, it would be chocolate if, if I had it, you know, but it's sort of like, I try not to keep a lot of sweets around for that purpose. Cause that, that like, I would just eat them all the time. And so like, I don't keep sweets around for me. And so the, the closest thing is like the ones I have for her.
3: Yeah. That is a funny moment always when you're like sneaking food. Yeah. I've, I've been there. I've been there.
2: Do you eat your meals with your kids?
3: If I'm home, usually, yes. I eat with, yeah, Eating with your kids is already kind of like a fraught term, I think. I, I often end up eating sort of in the presence of my of my kids. I mean it's it's a pretty short period of t- time that all four of us are going to be sitting at the table eating together. My one-year-old is especially fidgety. She pretty much will only sit as long as she is eating. Once she's done eating, she wants out. What about you? Can you tell me yeah. about how you eat with your kids?
2: So I have one, and we—mealtime um, is, like, a time of the day that I feel like I can count on as a calm time of the day for us. And my husband works, um, you know, late a lot. Uh and, and even when he's not working really late, he doesn't make it home in time for her dinner time. And so usually it's me and her eating dinner alone together. Um, and so it's a time when I know we're going to be getting along and we're going to have like usually pretty great conversations. Like you're supposed to have like your good conversations with your family uh, at dinner time, around the dinner table, and I know it's really hard to do, and I and I, I don't know what it'll be like when she's older, but um, you know because she's so active, I don't feel like we have very meaningful conversations most of the time. It's mostly like you know, oh my God, what are you doing? You're gonna like break your neck, <laughs> um, and and I'm just like sort of wrangling her in, into stuff. But at dinner, she'll like tell me her theory on how babies are made.
3: <laughs> what is the theory?
2: Well. <laughs> Um, so, so she, she thinks they're built. Um, she always talks about how how you build a baby. She's heard like little bits and pieces of things here and there, and her conclusion is that there are bubbles up in the sky with babies in them, <laughs> and they come down and they go into the mommy's belly. Um, and then the sperm, the daddy, puts his sperm into the mommy's belly, and then it becomes an egg, and the egg cracks in the mommy. And then, and then the baby comes out.
3: (laughs) Um, Sounds about right.
2: Yeah, I love the bubbles up in the sky. (laughs) Uh, So I learned, I learned about that at dinner. That's awesome. Um, So she'll just like she'll have some theory that she tells me about, and I ask her to tell me all about it. I also, you know, it's like I don't know if you've had this experience. Like when you pick your kids up from school, and you're asking them about their day, and you say like, what you know, what did you do at school? Especially in those first, you know couple years of school what did what did you do and they and they have no answer for you yeah yeah you know um and i i sort of i try to remember that like when i have just come home like if someone asks me how my day is i need to like decompress first before i can really give the full answer but so at dinner we do we have this routine where i say what's your favorite thing that happened today and what's something that happened that you didn't like and that's a time when she will tell me you know like I made a drawing of a big, big whale or, you know, um, this kid pushed me again or, you know, this kid didn't want to play with me. And that's where I get like dinner time is where I get those answers. And because food has become this amazing thing that's not a conflict for us, like uh, amidst all the chaos, like that's a time when I just I just really look forward to it. Dan Pashman hosts The Sporkful, which you can find at sporkful.com. And on our website, longestshortesttime.com, we've got a picture of one of Dan's food balls um, made of leftover food from his one-year-old's plate. We've also got a link to one of my very favorite videos ever of Dan teaching you the most efficient way to eat wings. Dan's got a book coming out. It's called Eat More Better, How to Make Every Bite More Delicious, You can pre-order the book now through our website on Amazon. Dan will be joining me in our upcoming Google Hangout that I mentioned at the top of the show. That's July 16th at 3 p.m. Eastern. We'll also be joined by pediatric dietitian Heidi Ketchkomethy. You can submit your questions about kids and eating to Heidi right now on a post called Ask a Pediatric Dietitian. The best way to keep on top of our events Sign up for our newsletter on our homepage. Mamas, if you are not a member of our Facebook group for moms, join us. It's called Longest Shortest Time Mamas. This group is just amazingly non-judgy and supportive and funny. At this very moment, as I record this, the mamas are talking about the food they sneak behind their kids' backs – Things like fish sticks, frozen waffles, string cheese, peanut butter crackers, Pop-Tarts, chocolate milk with four heaping scoops of Nestle Quick, Cheerios with whole milk. That's just to name a few. And I should note, we are not receiving money from any of those brands. Dads, we've got a group for you too called Longest Shortest Time Papas. There are over 20 times the number of members in the mom's group than in the dad's group. Dads. Is that how you want it to be? No, I I think the answer is no. Dads need bonding too. So join up. This podcast is a production of WNYC and The Longest Shortest Time. The show is produced by me, Hilary Frank, and Joanna Solotaroff. Jim Briggs is our engineer. Our theme music is by The Batteries Duo. Special thanks to Chris Bannon and Kristen Meinzer, Subscribe to our show on iTunes. We'll be back in two weeks at 3 a.m. And as always, if you have a story of a surprising struggle in early parenthood that you'd like me to consider for this podcast, go to longestshortesttime.com and submit your story.
1: I'm standing outside Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. Inside, there are like a trillion objects, and I have to go in there and find 10. So we open a drawer here, and there's Indiana Jones' jacket and Indiana Jones' whip. What is this? Now we'll edited. Edited this <gasps> guitar. I'm Asif Manvi, and I am lost at the Smithsonian. Where do I begin? This place is obviously full of fascinating stuff.
2: Fonzie's jacket worn by Henry Winkler on Happy Days.
1: There are 156 million objects in the Smithsonian's collections. Here are Muppets. These aren't just objects. They're pieces of America's self-identity. I'm looking at a, a robe with the name Muhammad Ali. Only 10 episodes, only 10 objects. That's... Pretty amazing. Lost of the Smithsonian is out now. Subscribe now in
0: Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain, or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western, with over 4,200 hotels worldwide.